Hello and welcome to the False Nines podcast. This is your host, Adam Goffin. I am here, not tonight, with Zach Pensack. I am here with two good friends of the pod. We'll start off with our first guest, Mr. Elijah Newsom from CHN Radio. How are you today, Elijah? You know, I'm unreal. I can't complain. Uh, my mighty Newcastle United are in the highest place I've ever seen them in in my my years of following the club. So top three at Christmas, I can't complain. Hey, that's an early Christmas gift for us, and we will enjoy it all the way yes, through of course. the holiday. Uh, we're also joined tonight by a very special guest, first time, I believe, on the False Nines, Mr. Roberto Rojas. Welcome, sir. Lovely to be here, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's definitely great to see how Newcastle's been doing. Obviously, a certain Paraguayan making all the headlines. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Player of the Month, I should say. You know, definitely have to yeah. give him the honorific title now. Um, but uh, obviously, you know, we're, we're not talking Newcastle here, but we're getting excited about a tournament that starts in about a few days. And I'm excited about this. So, yeah, lovely to be on and can't wait to, to dissect this uh, really unpredictable tournament. Great to have you, Roberto. And as, as you mentioned, today we're going to be focusing on the World Cup, which as of recording is starting in just six days. Everybody's super excited. Roberto, before we get down to brass tacks here, could you just kind of give us a little bit of background on yourself, um, your love for football, and uh, and why we had you on the uh, on the pod today? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, guys. Um, you know, my name is obviously Roberto. Um, I've been covering basically Paraguayan soccer as a journalist for the last five, six years. Obviously, my family is from Paraguay. I grew up here in the States um, all my life, and that's kind of where I got my love for football soccer through them. Obviously, seeing Paraguay at, at numerous World Cups. I've seen them in Copa Americas. Obviously, you know, falling in love with soccer as a whole, be it from an international perspective or a club perspective. Obviously, <laughs> the, the, the last time I came here, we spoke about a a certain Miguel Medon making the jump from Atlanta United to Newcastle United. And, you know, it's been a, an interesting journey for him. But honestly, it's also been great for me because I've been able to to really meet a wonderful community of Newcastle fans. Obviously got the chance to go to Newcastle to catch a game. You know, obviously been able to see what it's like over there in, in England. And, and yeah, I mean, it's been quite an interesting ride. Obviously now with Miguel playing in, in probably the best form of his of his life, I would say, in a Newcastle shirt. I think it's it's definitely been a, a good time to to speak about him. But honestly, I think um, I think that all takes a back seat for today because I'm I'm excited about this World Cup. I think it's definitely going to be one that you know for me, you know, it's it's gutting that I'm not going to see the team that I tend to support a lot whenever there's a World Cup uh, or any big tournament that happens in Paraguay. They've missed out on their third straight. But the United States are there. Uh, obviously, it's it's good to have some sort of fallback to them. As sure me and Elijah as well will will have to deal with. And yeah, we're we're into what will be a very different tournament. You know, playing it in the in the winter, being it played in a in a different environment in said country, in Qatar. But um, in the end of the day, we're we're here to to enjoy the the football what we see on the pitch. Couldn't have said it better myself, Roberto. And welcome again to the pod. Great to have you on. All right. So um, let's go ahead and give a quick overview of what we'll be chatting about today. It is all World Cup themed today, as much as we love Newcastle. I would probably talk about them a little bit, right, Elijah? But uh, they're not yeah. on the agenda for today. <laughs> uh, we're going to chat first about notable absentees from the World Cup. These are not your Erling Hollands or your Miguel Almirones. These are your players whose teams have made it to the World Cup, but sadly will not be um, included in the squads for 
mostly injury reasons for, for these players that we have listed today. We'll then go through Group B. Um, that is a fascinating group for us on the call. I myself am originally from Wales. Um, we do a podcast um, on the English Premier League, so very excited to speak about England as well. The United States, never heard of them, but apparently they're in Group B as well. And then <laughs> to round it out, we've got Iran in that group. So lots to unpack there. Before we go to commercial break, we're going to be chatting a little bit about our South American teams. Roberto mentioned he uh, obviously has that Paraguayan background, so lots of knowledge on South American football. When we come back from the commercial break, we'll be talking about the favorites for the World Cup and then some of our predictions as we go through that. That all sound good, gents? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. This is this is cool because I, I wasn't podcasting at the last World Cup, so this is the first World Cup podcast for yours truly, so I'm excited. Okay, I asked one question before we get started. As a 40-year-old Welsh man, is it a true statement or not that neither of you were alive for USA 94? Yeah, yeah. That is correct. That's yeah. wild. That's wild to me. I was 12 yeah, years old at the time. I, so yeah, I, I, I was room here. Yeah, I think we're both 97. Aren't you 97, Roberto? Yes, I am. Yes, yeah, I we're am. both 97. Yeah. So you were just little spring chickens for France '98 when the French took it home. So that's interesting. Okay. Well, we we didn't remember it. No. <laughs> so, I, 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 I. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm exci- I'm excited to get your more recent knowledge on this one because you've probably gone a lot more in depth than I have in recent years. So, without further ado, players that are going to be missing from this World Cup, and if there's any here, gents, that you want to kind of unpack a little bit more, please do stop me. Uh, we'll start alphabetically here. Argentina. Giovanni Lo Celso will not be a part of this World Cup. Uh, for Brazil, Aston Villa's Diego Carlos, season-ending injury for him earlier on uh, in August of this year. For Canada, Daniil Henry will not be part of the World Cup. For England, Ben Chilwell, Reese James, and Emile Smith-Rowe, a lot of problems there in the wing-back positions for England. For France, definitely some big names out there. Paul Pogba, Ngolo Kante, and Wesley Fofana. Why don't we pause on those for a second? Yeah. For France specifically, I feel like they've gotten a bit of a short end of the stick here, some real notable names out. Who do you think they missed the most out of those three? Oh, man. I, for me, I would say, I mean, it's tough because you look at, like, the, you know, their last World Cup win, and, like, Kante, that, that was the name being sung. He's the unsung hero, but, like, I also feel like Pogba is so much better for the national team than he has been for club in recent years. And it's like, that's, that's another player who I was like, just hoping to see uh, play for the national team because he's just been so good. Uh, and so I'm, mean, yeah, it's tough to really pick, pick and choose between the two, but I think those two most are, are the most notable for me out of the three. Roberto for you. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I think, you know, you have two players that were so crucial in that midfield um, you know, back in 2018, I think, you know, Pogba definitely gets all the headlines for being the the so-called maybe, I'd say, better player than Kante when he looks at on the national team level. But again, you have Kante being that engine, you know, someone that is always there in the midfield and really was so crucial in dictating that tempo and helping France win that World Cup. So they are really two big losses. And even when looking, excuse me, even looking at the replacements, you don't have any real natural ones. So I'm, I'm curious to see how France will do at this World Cup without having someone that can definitely be creative in midfield, but also have the the stamina to also, um, you know, dictate the tempo as well. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. It's been it's been a bumpy road, I would say, to get here for France. A lot of people have written them off early just because of their struggles to kind of make it through and some of the issues that they've had in the Nations League as well. But I think it'll be fascinating to see. Deschamps, I think, is kind of somewhat on the ropes, fairly or unfairly, going into this into this tournament. And uh, I think he's due a good one, especially what after after what happened in the Euros last time. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think the last thing I'd mention is I'm curious to see like you guys' thoughts. I think, I mean, I have a lot of Chelsea fan friends, but it feels like Conte's the last couple of seasons has has been less effective than he has been in maybe a few seasons ago where, I mean, he went from this unknown name to unsung hero. Do you think that that plays a factor into like how much he's missed in the national team? Or is that just a position where, they're weak at, and at this point, Conte's probably probably would have been your best shot anyway. Um, I don't know. I just I'm curious to hear you all thoughts, especially you, Adam, since you do cover the Premier League holistically, and you've probably seen the decline of the use of Conte in Chelsea squads over the last year or so. Yeah, I think he's definitely getting into the twilight of his career, so to speak. Um, I think he's done it all. He has nothing to prove. I mean, he's literally yeah. won everything that there is to win as a football player. Um, but I, I agree. I think it'll be a loss, maybe less so because you ex- expect him to play every minute of those games um, kind of as he, as he ticks on in age, but more so, I just think around the team, that willing winning mentality that he has, the fact mm-hmm. that he's been there and he's done that, I think that will be a huge loss for France going into this world cup. Now that said, they've got some very promising youngsters. Uh, Chiumeni is a player that a lot of people have been, have been really hyped about going into the world cup and, I could see him having a good one too, but there's no substitute for experience, especially you know when you're um, you're going to a big tournament like this. I think he's a he's a huge loss for them. Yeah, facts, 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 facts. All right, all right. Um, I think another team I'd love to pause on here: Germany. A couple of big name players out for them. Uh, Timo Werner, of course, um, revitalized after leaving Chelsea in the off season. Marco Royce and Florian Wirtz all going to be missing out on. The World Cup does that severely dent Germany's chances, Jens? Do you think Roberto? I'll come to you first. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I think this Germany side, I think obviously, you know, it's definitely not a team that wows you. Like, yeah, they have a lot of impressive players and and whatnot with with players that are playing in in great teams across all of Europe. But you know, it's certainly not like the big flashy stars that we know. But again, you you still have players of experience like Thomas Muller, you know, who's been playing out of his mind for the last couple of years at Bayern Munich. And, and you still have players like uh, Emmanuel Neuer, you know, what probably will be his last World Cup. We'll see what kind of experience he can get uh, in goal. And you look at some of the so-called new generation for what I say is the, the players that are coming out, like a Kimmich, a Goretzka, um, even the young players like, um, uh, what's his name? Like um, Musiala and um, Mokoko. So I think it's, it's that kind of thing. And, you know, Kai Havertz as well is there as well is is there too. The goal scorer for the World Cup final, Mario Götze, is also on that squad for the first yeah. time in in so many years. So it, it's an interesting squad. It's an d- interesting team. I'm curious to see where the goals are going to come from because I think yes, with Timo Werner, even though he was always hot and cold at Chelsea, and he seems to have found form at Leipzig before his injury, I think he would have been someone that would have been reliable playing a striker, but now with him gone and with some other players that are also missing on this Germany squad, especially on the attack, I'm curious to see if if that experience and that talent will will get to them 
uh, when the big games happen. Yeah, that's interesting. I would I would say like that's a good question because there's not really a you know crazy traditional number nine that we we might have been used to in the past for for Germany there, and but they do have a lot of forwards who tend to score like Serge Serge Napri just scored this past weekend. Like they have guys who who score goals for fun. You know, Sane, Moeller, Kai Havertz. He's always been really good for for country. Um, and I mean, Karim Adeyemi, he, he's another good name to have in the fold, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be the big question mark for Germany is, is the goal scoring because they are so deep everywhere on, on the team. Like it, it seems like, again, maybe not the big names that we're used to seeing in the past that have just dominated champions league, you know, in time after time, but still just a lot of really good names on this German squad. So I, I don't know. I think they'll still be good. Are they going to win the world cup? Probably not, but I think they, you know, get out of the group comfortably and they're they're making noise and knockout stages for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good call. Um Germany I think is gonna be an interesting one for me. I just I think back to having watched them growing up, um, obviously having seen many World Cups being forty years old, Germany when I was growing up were really the team to beat. Um they were winning a lot of World Cups back then and usually at England's expense. Um, but Germany themselves have historically been a really solid defensive team. And I think what's interesting for me and a, a very interesting kind of nuance to this World Cup here is going to be the last Euros. Uh, defensively, I thought they were actually a bit weaker than they've been previously. So have they figured that out this time? Are they mm-hmm. able to really kind of get that defensive side of their game together? I think that'll be fascinating to watch this time around. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point for sure. All right. All right, so on to Mexico. Ralph Jimenez, um, not officially ruled out yet, but burring towards possibly not competing in the World Cup this time. Netherlands will be without Jeannie Wijnaldum, who is, I think, becoming less important to them in the in the grand scheme of things. Portugal have some notable players out here. Diogo Jota, Pedro Neto, and Ricardo Pereira. Um, some Premier League names in there, Jens. Anybody that you're really fearful that uh, would, would make a huge difference to, to Portugal of those three? Yeah, I think obviously, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think Jota is definitely someone that I think has always been kind of crucial and and you see him playing in that, in that left wing. I mean, obviously, I think they have a a life for life replacement, maybe a better one in this case, like Rafael Leal. But um, I I think what Portugal are definitely going to go through is like, obviously, it's a side that I think, you know, with all the talk of Ronaldo and to see how useful he can be, I'm curious to see how they're going to end up playing in the way that they are because of their of their style, what Fernando Santos wants. And, you know, it, it, they have talent. It, it's it's there. You see it week in, week out in the Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, whatever. But um, I think it's 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 going to be interesting to see how he, Fernando Santos is going to stack all of them together and for them to play in a in a cohesive system that, that works for them. Yep, some, some great points there. Uh, Elijah, I'll come to you. Lots of talk in the press in the last 48 hours about Cristiano Ronaldo's explosive interview with Piers Morgan. How, how do you think that impacts their chances at this World Cup with where he is from a mental perspective right now? I mean, he posted today, uh, I think it was today. Yeah, he posted today on Instagram, you know, him in training like for Portugal. So I think he's not affected. I think it's definitely, um, and I don't know if the team's really that much affected. Um, I think they're kind of ignoring the noise. I think if anyone's probably feeling the pressure, it's Manchester United just because 
they've got, you know, basically three weeks to figure out what they're trying to do with this, this guy who obviously doesn't want to be there, you know, tried to leave in the summer, was, you know, kind of unsuccessful in that. Um, and you have to kind of navigate whether or not you can get value for a player that, you know, has expressed so much disinterest in going and being at the club, but is also still like on his day, you know, one of the best players in the world, maybe not the best players in the world, not maybe not the best player in the world for the system that they're trying to run there and trying to press more and trying to be a bit more aggressive in defense. But overall, he's still a great player that in theory would, would, would be good at a lot of teams around the world. But I don't know. I think the, it's, it, again, it's less pressure on, on Portugal, the team, but maybe a little bit more on, on Man U. And I don't even know. I wouldn't even say that it's pressure on Ronaldo to perform because he's, he's going to, he's going to do Ronaldo things in the tournament. Like him and Messi, I, I don't really think are, are going to be feeling any sort of pressure to do, to, to really overachieve or try to win the world cup. I think they both have had respectful careers and this might be the last go round for both of them in the world cup. So I think they're just going to, each one of them, both are just going to go out, do their thing, whatever, whatever. And if that results in Ronaldo winning Golden Boot, then I won't be surprised for one. But who knows? Yep. No, that's totally true. I think we we have the risk here of having a really pissed off Cristiano Ronaldo in this World Cup. And I don't think that's good for anybody that he plays against. So uh, I'll be watching that one with interest. It's going to go one of two ways, gents. He's either going to just light it up or he's going to have a really bad world cup and uh, nothing in between is my prediction. <laughs> of course. All right. So final three teams, uh, just zip through these last three, cause we're going to get into detail on two of them here shortly for Spain. They'll be without Jared Moreno, Sergio Reguilon and Kepa Ariza Balaga USA without Daryl Dyke, Chris Richards and miles Robinson and Wales will be without Tom Lawrence, RND Reese Norrington Davis and David Brooks, who's still recovering from, his cancer treatment that he's had over the course of the last few years. So um, let's get right into it. Shall we gents group B? Yeah, let's of talk course. about the, uh, is it the group of death before we get into it? Would you say, would you agree that group B is the group of death, England, Wales, USA, and Iran? I mean, I, I would have to agree. I mean, I think the only other one that's, that's kind of, if you're, if you're in that group, you're a little bit nervous. Maybe that, uh, that group F with Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia, just because I think, Canada and Morocco are, are, are solid, and I think Belgium's also a really good team as well. So that's maybe the only other one where I'm like, you know, potentially group of death. But, I mean, every one of these teams is, is really good in Group B, um, and I know you're going to get into FIFA rankings, but, I mean, Iran is somehow their, their top 20 in the world, which is nothing to snuff at. And, again, it's FIFA rankings, but they're, they're a good team. They're solid, uh, and, and they've, they've looked – Solid in the lead up to to World Cup, so yeah, I would say Group B, Group of Death, sure, why not? What about for you, Roberto? Any other yeah, groups I mean, you'd make a I, case for? I think maybe the the Group A one definitely is not a death one, but definitely a a very open one when you look at the quality of the four teams that are there. Maybe yeah. Group H. I was also figuring that out. The one with Portugal, mm-hmm. uh, Uruguay, South Korea, and, and Ghana. That's a one. That's yeah, one with that's a lot one. of talent on all ends, but. I have to agree. I think the Group B one, I mean, yeah, whatever you could say about the FIFA rankings is whatever, but they're there for a reason. Everyone seems to go to them, so clearly it's not uh, something that is just look, look, not looked down upon, but over, sorry, overlooked, I should say. So when you have four of those teams in the top 20, I mean, yeah, you kind of have to side it and say, yeah, it's a really tough group, and it is, and we'll, we'll get into it because, honestly, 
it can go either way, really. It can go as if, you know, you have maybe two teams that are over, the, like, the favorites that are definitely better than the rest. Or we can see some shocks, like we always see at a World Cup, and what we're going to see at a World Cup. Maybe not in this group in particular, but anything could indeed happen. Of course. Indeed. indeed. Well, so let's get right into it then. Why don't we shake it up a little bit here? Let's start with probably the less fancy team in Iran in the group. Um, who'd like to kind of chat us through our, our structure here is we're going to try and talk a little bit about their strengths and weaknesses, any players to watch. But just in, in general, I think Iran is a fascinating team to talk about. I think somebody that has potentially maybe been ruled out very early on. Do we feel like that's justified or do you think there's a possibility, uh, Roberto, I'll come to you first, that they might be able to shake it up a little bit? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it's definitely a side that, you know, speaking to people who have covered Iran and, and those who are connected to them, I think this is a side that is very much, in my estimation, a, a team that likes to score goals. I mean, yes, they have a, a really a, a so-called defensive manager in Carlo Keosh, who came back to this um, to the squad as the manager. But, you know, this is a side that obviously, you know, got through qualification in, in the way that they did, you know, winning it, so only losing one game. And, and, and of course, defeating and, and getting points, sorry, not, not defeating, but also getting points against the likes of, of South Korea, for example. So I, I think this is a side that certainly has demonstrated, especially with some of the players that they have at the disposal, like the likes of um, Tarimi, uh, Azumon. Jakon Bayes as well. I mean, they, they have a lot of talent on there. But I think one of the key things that I'm curious about is to see what this Iran side can do against teams that are maybe a bit more offensive, like maybe sides that press a bit more, like in England, like the Wales, like in the United States, where we're going to see that. Do they go and try to track back? Do they try to be a bit more defensive? Or are they going to take the risk and, and see what they can do? And the first game against England, I think, is the one where I think Kato, she's going to have to try to to utilize his, his tactics in order to to really prove what he can do. Because I think, you know, I'm not saying England are going to underestimate Iran or maybe the fans will as well, but I think it's a perfect opportunity for them to, to show that they can go and, and try to make things difficult for them, especially when, when they are, let's be real, the underdogs in this group, the, the maybe the main group, underdog. The maybe the main. So. Yeah. Absolutely. I, it's, it's interesting that they're playing England first as well. I think had they had they had their pick, do you think they'd want to get that game out of the way initially? Or do you think they'd prefer to take a less fancied Wales or USA in that opening game? I think, you know, the fact that you have the, the, the favorite in that group really to play on the first on the get go kind of sets things up because I think it shows you know, kind of where the measuring stick stick is and what better way to really prove your worth by playing the favorites or by playing a, a, a team that is considered the best England squad in quite some time that went to the finals of the Euro, that went to the semifinals four years ago. I think, you know, it, it, it's you have to do this. Like, there's no other way. You're, it, I think, you know, it's something that I think a lot of these players understand. I think they want to send a message. I think... They definitely understand that, you know, these guys are, are playing, you know, really for, for something. And I think that's always an interesting story. I'm not saying, of course, I want Iran to beat England or anything like that. Maybe I am. I don't know. But I think, you know, for them to to do something there and to, you know, so-called, in, in parentheses, shock the world by getting a, a result against England, 
I think would go and prove to not just the two other teams in the in the other group with Wales and the United States, but also to the rest of the teams that may play them in the World Cup. It's like, okay, these guys are serious because they're getting results against that England team managed by that England manager. So it's it's what they have to do, and I think it's I think it's a great opportunity for them to to really show what they're worth. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. couldn't agree more there. I was gonna say I was gonna get your get your take, Elijah, on on that, but also I believe you had some um, some kind of breaking news from today around the Iran national team that, that you wanted to cover as well. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, so on Roberto's point, I, I I agree. Like, if you're the underdog, you want to play the top dog first. Put a little bit of pressure on them. I think there's there's still so many questions around this England team, which. You know, as an as a complete like, I'm a fan of the game. You're like, how could there be questions? Like, you're you're literally you're getting your pick of the litter from you know some of the most talented players in the world. But somehow it feels as if like England has been, and it's weird because again they made a Euro final, but it was like playing the most unattractive football that you would imagine. It's not the football that England fans were expecting. It wasn't this like we have some of the best attackers in the world. Let's just go get after it. It was like very defensive let's win this game 1-0 let's win this game you know two maybe 2-1 it was very like defensive and and pretty pragmatic and so I'm curious to see how how they handle that first match against Iran I think it's a good chance for if Southgate wants to really you know put put pedal to the metal and be like hey we're we're going to play attacking football we're going to utilize the players we have I know there's questions in defense for England that they're very vulnerable in certain areas and I think, you know, Iran could take advantage of that. And like Roberto said, it could be a big, like, message being sent if Iran is able to get even a draw against England, uh, a team that, like you said, Adam, like you said, Roberto, heavily favored. Um, but real quick, this is just a quick little, not it's not a quick little story, but it is a quick story. There was, um, there was a lot of uh, talk about uh, Iran striker Asmon, who... Uh, a, a, couple, a few months ago spoke in support of some of the protests in Iran. And uh, there was some talks uh, being reported by various reporters earlier today, which is Monday, um, that uh, he could be left off the Iran national team um, altogether, seemingly for these, these, these comments, basically speaking out against the Iranian government, uh, which this is a, a clear violation of, a FIFA policy, and luckily there is. It, luckily, he was he was named in the squad, even though he's picked up a knock. He's by far, you know, one of their best strikers. He's playing at Leverkusen right now. Um, is was immense for them in qualifying. So, it's an interesting one to keep track of because uh, the coach kind of went out on a limb with a lot of reports out of Iran saying that the the government was pressuring him not to select this player. He did it anyway because he's doing what's best for the team. And again, there's that whole aspect of this is literally not allowed from from a FIFA perspective. So I think this will just be an interesting story that's going to continue to garner attention um, as the World Cup continues and as uh, protests in Iran, you know, continue to increase and, and get more and more serious. So something to think about um, for sure. But yeah, Adam, who's next? All right. I think you segued us quite nicely there into England, talking a little bit about Southgate and his setup. So so let's go there. Elijah, why don't we start with you this time? Um, let's talk a little bit about what you're expecting from England in this World Cup. And who, who are a few of the players that you think might have the opportunity to shine uh, in the England setup this time around? Well, that's the thing. There's so many players that have the opportunity to shine. It's it's really tough. I think the attack is is where I'm start. I think... Um, 
England, you could see like it could be a really good World Cup if if some of the attacking players they have really start to find themselves and, and find form within the team. We haven't seen England play this like crazy attacking style football that I think we're all expecting. And if we all were playing FIFA and and were controlling England, we would we would see names like Rashford and and James Madison and Trent Alexander Arnold Arnold and and Saka and, and Foden, like you'd see all these names and be like, oh, I'm scoring six, seven goals. But I mean, for the most part, when England have to play quality competition or even when they're playing teams that are inferior, quote unquote, to them, you haven't seen that. Um, and so I'm curious to see how England's attack looks. I think the obvious questions are are within the defense. Um, they're, they're, they're pretty thin there in at center back uh, with if obviously Maguire is still in the team and that's, that's something else. But Guys who are who are who are playing for them in defense tend to make their mistakes, um, for sure. Like you know, even Stones is going to make mistakes here and there. But here's the 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 million dollar question for England, and I'm I'd love to post this to the group: is who starts at right back? <laughs> like there's 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 Southgate who had his kind of weird quote about how uh, Trent Alexander Arnold is not as complete. I think is is what he said as. As Karen Trippier as a right back, uh, obviously Trent Alexander Arnold is probably one of, you know, he's he's up there with one of the best attacking fullbacks in the world. But there's a lot of questions being asked of his defending capability, and in a tournament setting, you can't just rely on attacking output. You have to be able to defend, and that's every tournament from you know, football to American football to basketball. Like defense ultimately is what wins championships. And so I'm curious, what, what does everyone think about uh, England at right back? I mean, I, I think there really is no debate, I think, right now in terms of form and then what he brings to the table. I think it's Kieran Trippier. I think it's Trippier. I think yeah. he's the one that I think is certainly ahead of the pecking order because I think not just on form, but also what he can bring to the table and in terms of defensive um work as well i mean yeah he could definitely play as a wing back and it's going to be interesting to see if southgate is going to improvise with the back three which would allow you know wing backs like him and maybe shaw at left back um to, to mm-hmm. go and bomb forward maybe Saka as well if, if he's going to try that to the extent but it's i think it's really that <laughs> i think it's it really is going to be someone like trippier and you know again no disrespect to trent alexander arnold for being a good player but in terms of form and then the way that they've been playing you have to pick Trippier at least right now for these type of games. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to agree with you on that one there, Roberto. I think when you think about the recent past for England, Trent Alexander-Arnold has been in and out of the squad. He's had questions around his form. There's been no such questions of Kieran Trippier. Uh, playing well for Atletico Madrid, then signing for Newcastle. And aside from a short spell out with injury, he's been really a mainstay in the Newcastle team and captaining the side. And I think mm-hmm. you want those sort of dependable players. You might be able to make an argument in usual years that the creative output of Trent Alexander-Arnold is something that might lean it more in his favor, but not this season. I think mm-hmm. Trippier has actually, he's, he's kind of top of some of those statistics in terms of getting deliveries into the box, um, created chances, assists, even the free kick quality from Kieran Trippier. I think there's a multitude, a plethora of reasons why you would want to choose Kieran Trippier in the right back role. Sure, me and Elijah might be a bit biased on it, but (laughs) I think he's dependable, right? And I think that you've never questioned that. With Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think there are some question marks around his dependability. 
Yeah, and I think it's a different conversation if Reese James is really in the picture. I think he's probably the best of both worlds. He's a solid defender. He's great in attack, and I think he's rightfully won that that number one nod. But when he got injured, it it became open season on who would be that you know hold down that right back spot. And then just as one other thing on England, I know that Gareth Southgate has pretty much picked Jordan Pickford to start almost every single match for England since 2018. I mean, he's he started every Euro match. He started he started everything. Like it's been, he's undeniable his guy. But you have to ask the question: Both Ramsdale and Nick Pope lead the lead the Premier League in clean sheets, and don't have some of the I don't want to I don't want to like body shame but they don't have some of the the physical uh <laughs> deficiencies that maybe Pickford has been accused of in the past regarding a certain dinosaur arm uh dinosaur arms but I don't know do you think is, is it too late to, for them to to really make a, a shift at keeper I mean I feel like the US is in a similar uh position of like I mean you know, they, they kind of moved on from the clear number one right ahead of the World Cup. Do you think Southgate's done the same thing in his mind, or is it going to be Pickford leading the line again uh, for uh, for England? I personally just don't see him dropping Pickford. Um, mm-hmm. I think Pickford gives you that distribution that I think the other two don't necessarily give you. I think if you think about pure shot stopper quality, you, you'd find a hard time beating Pope and Ramsdale in those categories. They're just incredible. Um, when it comes to that aspect of their game. But distribution-wise, Southgate likes to play out from the back, and I think that's actually one of Pickford's strengths. Um, and he had a great Euros last time around, so it would be, yeah. in my eyes, a bit a bit harsh to drop him after his performance in the last Euros. Um, curious on your thoughts too, Roberto. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for all the, the, the kind of mistakes that we see from Pickford this season at Everton, I think you still see someone that is obviously reliable for Southgate. And I think if you have that trust from that goalkeeper, from that manager in such a big tournament like this, then who are we to crit? Yeah, we have all, every right to criticize what could indeed be right. But at the end of the day, if that manager is trusting that goalkeeper, then it seems like he has an idea of what he's trying to do to, to help his side. So yeah, I think it makes sense that Pickford would want a starting goal uh, for them. I think the only other thing I'd add there is... Um, as good as Nick Pope has been in the Premier League this season, and he's been excellent, the last memory England fans yeah. have of him in an England shirt is his calamitous spill against Germany that cost yeah. England the game in, in their last competitive match. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's going to be on Southgate's mind as well. Cannot afford to have something like that happen in the World Cup. Yeah, it's true. It, it's so weird, the league versus international form. I mean, we, we talked about it with Fred. It's like you look at Fred in the Premier, you're like, how is this guy, you know, an out-and-out starter for Brazil? But then when he plays for Brazil, he's he's really good. And I think that's that's kind of been the case with Pickford is that for the most part, he's been really good when he's played for England, despite, you know, what he's done in the league. So I don't know. It's very curious. Who's, who's next? All right. Uh, let's move on to Wales. Um I can take this one, gents. Let me go okay. ahead and see this one up. So Wales have not participated in a World Cup since 1958. And old as I may be, I was not around for that one. So this is the first time in my life I am going to see my beloved Wales play in a World Cup. Why is it even more important? I'll tell you why. My father is English. Um, I grew up in the United Kingdom. My father is English. And I have been over here in the United States 
since the year 2006. I'm now a proud citizen since 2012. So English father, Welsh born, Welsh blood, and U.S. immigrant and citizen at this point. This could not be a tastier group for me. Uh, and let's talk about Wales. I think a lot of people, I don't think it's fair to say people will write us off at this point because I think we've proved ourselves in recent years that we can do it. But this is a huge step up for Wales coming into this World Cup. I think what we bring in spades is just a really strong team spirit and work ethic. Um, you got players out there that are just willing to go the extra mile and die for each other. Um, and you've got a player, Gareth Bale, who really, as, a, as our nation's top scorer, has a huge point to prove on this stage. Um, and he'll want to do everything he can to to get us over the line, as he's done so many times in, in qualifiers and in the Euros in the past. How, however, I do think that there are question marks about the Wales team when you look at the overall squad quality. Um, I think we've got several players that are playing in some lower leagues. Uh, we've got some players that don't necessarily make it into their teams as first as natural starters for those teams, and we're lacking a goal scorer. Uh, Kiefer Moore is a good player, uh, but he's not necessarily the quality finisher that you're going to get in some of the other stronger nations. So um, I think it'll be fascinating to watch Wales. I'd love to ask you both as as neutrals on the on the Welsh side. What do you feel of their their chances? I'll, I'll come to you first, Roberta. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's definitely a a it's literally foreign territory for for these guys playing in a World Cup for the first time, and then you know, for some teams, the occasion is so is so special. Um, you know, we saw Panama and Iceland go through that last time round, and I think for them, it was such a big occasion that they got into the moment, and and yeah, they got some tough draws in the end that didn't see them qualify out of the round of 16 into the round of 16. But I think for the swell sides, it's, it's different because you look at the, the team that they have, you look at the experience, you look at the way that they've been playing. I think, you know, a lot of people have been really having high hopes on this Welsh side, especially considering that they've done well in previous tournaments, be it in the Euros or whatever. And I think, you know, it's that kind of momentum that helps you when you get into this occasion and the fact that you're doing something that an entire of many generations and decades past of Welsh players have been able to do. So the pressure is there, but for them, because it's just been so long that they've not been to a, a major world cup, I think it changes a bit of the perspective. Yes, of course they want to go in and do well because they definitely have the talent to do so. So why would they ever want to just say, now nah, we're here for the for the experience, but no, they're there to compete. They're there to, in their mind, their their goal, like any other country in the world. You don't go to the World Cup and say, "Yeah, we'll see what happens." All that kind of stuff. Where you don't learn. No, you're there to literally win it. That's the dream. That's the goal. Yeah, everyone is better than it. there are teams that are better. We're gonna talk about the favorites in a bit, but in this case for Wales, that's what they want to do. They're there not to, to compete, and so. That makes teams like England, like the United States, like Iran, you know, uh, really much on on their on their toes to see what they can do against this Welsh side uh, moving forward. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about experience with Wales. I think you look at the the, the favorites in this group of England and USA, and it's still a lot of relatively young players that. England's had the benefit of of their guys playing in Euros. And, you know, yes, Gold Cup is is fascinating. And it's cool to have those moments in CONCACAF Gold Cup and 
and CONCACAF, whatever they're, uh, they're like, what is it? Do they have Nations League? I cannot remember. But um, there's, there's a lot to be said about the Welsh team, and there's a lot of guys who've played together for a while on that team. And yes, there are some some interesting young younger faces coming through the ranks, but for the most part, it's a team that I feel has played a lot together. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like it's a team that's played a lot together. And I think that ultimately that holds weight. And I would not be surprised if this Welsh team uh, finishes second in the group just because it's a team that's played together so long, and there is quality there. There's talent there, and. I'm sorry, there, it has to be said, Gareth Bale in big tournaments, uh, that that scares me as as, as 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 someone who has to has to like look, you know, watch my team take on Gareth Bale, uh, a well-rested Gareth Bale who um, played not as much as maybe people thought he would for LAFC this season and still came on and scored the game-tying goal to send them into PKs in order to win the MLS Cup like the guy cannot stop winning trophies. That's a little nerve-wracking uh, watching that as a US fan and being like, okay, well, he's going against, you know, really talented guys by our standards as Americans and he comes on and he does this. It's a little bit scary. So, I think Wales is a very slept-on team and and maybe a dark horse to get out of the group. I would not be surprised at all if they get out of the group. Yeah, I think uh, some good points there. And I, I would add that, you know, you, you mentioned some of the teams that have played together for quite some time. Really some of our most talented players, Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey, and then Joe Allen, who's really been instrumental for us in getting us to major tournaments and then how he's played in previous tournaments. Getting on a bit now in age, all, all three of them. So I think this is their only opportunity. Even if we were to qualify for the next one, I don't see those three players necessarily being in the physical fitness to be able to participate in that World Cup. And I think, I've said this for a while, I think after this World Cup, I think Gareth Bale's done. I think he retires and rides off into the sunset. I think he's got nothing else left to prove. So um, I, I'm just curious. I think he'll give absolutely everything to the cause, as you would imagine. Um, and we'll see what that brings this this Walsh side. All right, our, our last team in the group, near and dear to both of you, the U.S. of A., uh, who'd like to who'd like to take the USA first? I'll I'll throw it out there for both of you. Uh, I I can I can go. I, I think this is there. You can't please American fans. Like it's it's impossible. Um, it's it's like the same people I saw in my timeline who were clamoring for Jesse Marsh uh, years ago are now like we're we're now a couple weeks ago and it's a little bit different now with with Leeds having a, a decent last couple of matches. We're now like, oh, Jesse Marsh probably going to get fired. Like, you can't please American fans. So, um, I think I I personally don't have many qualms with their roster selection. I think Ricardo Pepe is probably the biggest name that was that was left out that people thought could be. There was rumors that he could be injured. So I take that with a grain of salt. And I also respect the fact that after two years of of people saying Greg call up the most informed strikers. Greg Berhalter did do that. He called up the guy in Josh Sargent, who's scored a bunch this season for Norwich, and he's called up a guy in Haji Wright, who scored, you know, what was it? I think it's nine goals in 12 games or something like that. And then he called up Jesus Ferrer, who came off another really good season in MLS and very solid season for him. And I don't know. It just feels like I don't know how you could really complain, complain too much. 
I think the biggest issues for for United States will probably be just in defense. Um, when you lose an anchor like Miles Robinson, who's been, you know, your your one of your best defenders, not the best defender over the past couple of se- couple of years, a couple of cycles internationally, he's you know started pretty much every match he's been available to play for. That's a that's a big loss uh, for for them. And Walker Zimmerman, I think, is is great and is going to be well. But I think there's going to be questions to be asked about who is paired up with Walker Zimmerman, and that is going to determine uh, how how good or bad America does in, in in the World Cup. Is really that back line? The midfield is probably the best midfield we will ever see for the United States. It is three guys who play well together. They have the chemistry. Jonas Musa is probably one of the best midfielders I've seen put on a national team shirt um, for, for America. And I mean, Wes McKinney is brings just a, a great energy to the team. And Tyler Adams is not only in form for one of the first times and healthy for one of the first times we've seen him going into a tournament for America, but it's also just elevated his game to a point where he, I feel comfortable with him protecting that back line. And in the attack, it's like, you look at the wide options and the wide options are great. And, you know, you just need someone to finish chances. And to me, the question still is in defense. And so uh, that's my big thing for America is how do they make sure that they are able to defend well, given the fact that some of their best defenders and Miles Robertson and Chris Richards, et cetera, et cetera, are just not going to be available and not at the tournament. Yeah, I, I think obviously, I think Elijah has said a, a lot of good things that I obviously agree on. I think this is a side that, again, I think this side has the potential for something great. I think, you know, obviously they have to do something that I feel is is very much, you know, a, a good impression for them, obviously, because they're going to be hosting the World Cup in four years' time. They need to put off a good impression, and and missing the World Cup four years ago, I think, was a big blow for the side that had to basically rechange everything and, and get the main players um, back, and and you know with young talent as well, and and we see that. So I agree. I, I'm curious to see where these goals are going to come from. I think you get that from from some players who I think are are definitely talented, like Pulisic. I mean, we know what he's like. Um, we know what what kind of depth that they have in the wings from maybe Aronson or Weya or Gio Reyna. You know, they, they have that. But I think, you know, the United States still hasn't been able to find that main number nine. Do we trust someone like Jesus Ferreira? Do we trust someone like Josh Sargent? Even Jordan Morris. Maybe we'll see what he can bring to the table. And, and I agree as well. I think the center back role, um, you know, we still have something that I think, you know, with, with all – intensive purposes like you know walker zimmerman has been really great through qualifying but you know you still have players that are missing and you know with the likes of a of an aaron long or a carter vickers are they the ones that could indeed be trustworthy and we saw that sometimes in the friendlies where the u.s struggled to play you know against japan like the, the press and when you have those teams like wales england and, and, and iran coming into the press you are not gonna. You do not want to give them that space. They will not forgive you for that. They they will go and attack on all levels. So that's just my concern. And I, I think is Pulisic up for the task to carry the entire load of the national team? I don't know. It's a huge responsibility. Definitely, the pressure is on his shoulders more than anyone else being the main star. But I think for them is they know that they cannot fail at any sense of purpose. Like one little mistake that can happen in the defense or or maybe a, a missed goal 
six yards out, that could haunt them. And I think if they're able to to understand it, and I think if Burhalter is able to to really be a bit more pragmatic in the way that he helps this side, I think the United States can indeed surprise per se any teams that are out there. But mm. I think it's 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 still something that maybe for U.S. fans like like Elijah said, you can't please all of them. Even when you win, you cannot put, uh, praise <laughs> them um, at its best, or, and especially at their worst. So I, I think more than anything, we just have to see what happens. And at this point, six days away from the start of the, literally at this time of recording, we're going to find out if the United States beat Wales in that first game. So it's, it's now to just support them and to see what goes from there. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating one. Something that dawned on me as you were talking there, Roberto, I think the opportunity areas for Wales are very similar to those of the United States. Um, mm-hmm. Defensively, I think we have a lot of question marks on the Wales side. Obviously, we've got a lot of attacking talent coming from midfield. You guys with Pulisic, us with Gareth Bale. And then I think up top, we've got the same questions really about a natural number nine. Josh Sargent is banging them in in the championship for, for Norwich, but didn't necessarily do the same when he was playing in the Premier League last season. And now we've got Kiefer Moore, who was a prolific goal scorer in the championship and is now kind of scoring one or two, just like Josh Sargent was for Norwich last season with Bournemouth. So um, very interesting parallels between the two teams there. I can see that first game being um, a very competitive fixture and probably a very critical fixture in terms of how the the results of the group pan out. So let's let's, let's pause there and uh, I'd love to get your opinion. Putting you on the spot now, which two okay. teams make it out of Group B, and in, what, and in what order will they finish first and second? Elijah, I'll come Ooh. to you first. Okay, real quick, I do want to give a quick shout-out. I think Tim Ream might be the answer to the U.S. men's national team's struggles. He hasn't obviously been in the picture for Greg, but, I mean, Fulham are good. Like they, Like, it's one of those where questions were asked whether or not they're going to be able to I, – I just don't see them getting relegated – and he's the heart and soul of that defense. He's he's been there, and he he's defended these players. I think it's a very tempting, like like it's a it's a decision that Greg's going to have to make. Of like, do I stick with Aaron Long, who has not been great, but has been he has that partnership with Walker Zimmerman, or do I go with the guy who has literally defended the entire English national team for the past you know couple of seasons at this point? Um, and has has proved his worth and has done well in that in that in, in that regard and is doing well right now. So that's just one. It's not. I don't need anyone's thoughts on it. It's just one to just let marinate out in the atmosphere. As for who I think will finish uh, in in one and two in this group, I'm going to shock some people and we're going to have some shocking predictions later on. But I'm going USA one Wales two. Oh. That is a shock. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, and part of it is I. It's so hard to put in into in like into words, but I think there's so much pressure on the English team, and I think that they can be vulnerable at times, especially in defense. And if their attack is not working, like they're liable for a draw or a loss, and like that's just what I've noticed the past couple seasons watching them. It's like it feels that sometimes like. You know, it feels as if that Euro run was they got a little bit of luck to get them to where they were. Like, were they true semifinalists? Were they true finalists or whatever? Like, sure, but it felt as if 
they weren't playing to their their the level of potential that I think anyone who's a neutral who's not an England fan would probably see them. And of course, what England fans want, I don't think they've they've reached that peak of like, oh man, we are cooking yet. And I think the World Cup's going to be an eye opener. And I think it could be Southgate's like it could be the end of it. Like if he does not go out and produce goals and and make a deep run, questions have to be asked. Like at this point, I mean, they are it's a good team of comprised of players in what people call the best league in the world. Questions going to be asked. And so I think that first game, if they can't put Iran away like 2-3-0, I think uh, – mm, I just – I don't know. I got a weird feeling that like it could go downhill from there for them. So I'll give you USA 1, Wales 2, and honestly, it could be the other way around. I, I think like I could see the Wales-USA game being a draw and both teams – taking away like okay this is what we can do and going out and picking up somehow results against England and somehow results against Iran so that that's my bold prediction so far all right Roberto that's a tough act to follow what, what have you got well oh my god I mean where can I where can I begin I I think you know I agree with Elijah I think there is a ton of pressure on this England side I think Southgate's probably never been in the hot in a hotter seat than he is in, at this moment especially after the results that gone their way in the Nations League I still think that even when push comes to shove this United States side still has something to prove is it a shock if they go and beat the t- uh, the likes of England but lose to a Wales or Iran no absolutely not but I still think that they have what it takes to go and compete for that having said that it really is tough to call, but I think I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Elijah on this one and say that the United States will go through, but they will finish in seconds. But this England side is too good. It really is. It shouldn't fail at the at the first hurdle. And if they do, I don't even know what's going to be the reaction over there back home on Twitter, the media, whatever. It'll be fun. It'll be you, funny what, to see. It'll be funny. Let's be let's be real. It'll be very yeah, funny, honestly. But I'll say this: Newca- if, if, if if England don't perform, uh, I think Newcastle fans are going to be a little bit nervy because it feels like Eddie Howe is the next. Like it was Graham Potter, and now he's like, you know, he hasn't. He, he's not been the best to Chelsea in recent in in the recent few weeks in the Prem. So now I think everyone in England is like Eddie Howe is the savior for English football. Like if Southgate doesn't cut it, so tough, tough break for Newcastle fans if if that's the case. So maybe I should root for England to do well. <laughs> that's why I'm being on the safe spot and saying England will finish first in air group, uh, but we'll qualify for the United States. <laughs> All right, I'll wrap it up then. Um, I think England come through the group in first place. I think they will overcome um, and they will probably take at least seven points from the group. I think Wales sneak in in second spot and I think it all comes down to that first game. Um, I think Wales will beat the United States in um, well seven nights time now. And I didn't mention this, but I'll actually be in the UK to watch it. I'm traveling back to the UK on Sunday. Oh, nice. For the entire group stages. I'm going to watch all three group games with my dad. Um, so should be awesome viewing to, to be able to be able to see that with him. The only one I won't get to see is the England around game because I'll be in transit getting home, but I should be home for the Wales-USA game to watch in Wales. Ooh. 
All right, gents, that was uh, that was a lot, but um, let's go ahead and take a quick break here. Some really good content. We really appreciate all your thoughts. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk a little bit about our South four South American teams, and then we'll wrap up the pod today with our predictions for the World Cup. All right, welcome back to the False Nines. We're going into the second half of the pod here, and we'll be kicking it off with Mr. Roberto Rojas talking about our South American teams in the World Cup, of which there are four. Uh, We have Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, and Ecuador. Uh, Where would you like to start, sir? What would be the, uh, the team of choice? Well, I think obviously you have to go for the teams that are currently the top two favorites to win the World Cup, according to the the betting odds. I think obviously with Brazil and Argentina, the the two powerhouses of South America, seven World Cup titles combined. Uh, Argentina have gone 36 years since winning the last World Cup. Brazil have gone 20 since they last won the World Cup. So I think this is the one that a lot of people are really pointing their, their fingers on to see what they can do because, of course, it's also been 20 years since a South American team has won it. Europe has won the last four World Cups. And so I think it's this opportunity for Brazil and Argentina to, to break this, this kind of stronghold that Europe has had from Italy, um, Spain, Germany, and France, who have all won World Cups after them. So, yeah, this is, this is an interesting one. I mean, I'll start with Brazil. I think certainly the favorites for, for a lot of people, you know, right now at, I think, plus 400 to to win this uh, tournament. And, you know, I think obviously this is a side that really has gotten much better than what we saw in the last four years, keeping the likes of Chiche back, uh, you know, something that Brazil don't tend to do really. They don't tend to keep managers, especially the ones that don't win world cups. Um, But because Chiche had such a a wonderful, um, positive rates on the Brazil side. I think they lost like maybe four games when he took charge. And this is not including the Belgium elimination game back in 2018. So they were the the FA in Brazil and a lot of fans were happy to see him back. Um, Obviously they've gone and won Copa Americas. They've lost Copa Americas too to Argentina. We'll talk about them in a bit, but this is a side that is very stacked, very, very stacked. When you look at it through, I think obviously when you have two of the best goalkeepers in the world, I mean, I don't know if I want to rank them, but like when both of them are, are going to be on your, on your, like one of them is on your bench and the other one's starting. I think that's just, that's just really unreal. Like that, that's just, that's cheating at this point. Like imagine having to, just in case Alisson gets injured, you get Ederson to come in or vice versa. That's just, it's, it's insane. Uh, Looking at the defense. I mean, surely you can say it. Maybe it's the side with the most question marks because obviously you have the experience of a Tiago Silva at 38 years old, still, playing in his what will be his fourth World Cup um, on this side. Dani Alves, 39-year-old Dani Alves is back to this side. You know, one of the the only true, you know, natural right backs that Brazil has alongside Danilo Juventus. Um, but you still have some talent on there with Marquinhos, Ademilitao, and so on and so forth. The midfield, we'll, we'll get to one certain exclusion I think Elijah wants to talk about. Uh, but you have the likes of a Casimiro who did so well at Real Madrid, now at Manchester United. Fred, Papinho, Bruno Guimarães, a name that both of you guys are very familiar of, uh, watching at Newcastle, making it to that side. And then I think the strongest 
suit of this Brazil side. The attack. I mean, where to begin? Neymar, Gabriel Jesus, Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, Anthony, Richarlison, Rafinha, Rodrigo, Martinelli, and Pedro. I mean, yeah, this, this Brazil side does wow you. There are some concerns, and especially the fact that you had a, a few names that are missing into the squad that didn't make it. But I can understand why Brazil are considered the favorites to win this World Cup when you just look at the team that they've had and look at the way that they've been playing so far. Yeah, I mean, I think there's is very a, a lot of talk about Roberto Firmino missing out on the squad. I think I, I understand the frustrations there, especially when like it you know to to just add add to the fire and he scored uh, he scored this past weekend as well. But I mean, also so did Rodrigo. So it's like it's a moot point. But it, there's so many choices for that Brazilian team. Um, I'm. I mean, it's it's there's there's a lot of choices, but I think one thing that I think is undisputable is Joel Intention not have made the World Cup. I, I there's a lot of Newcastle fans who there are some that listen to this, so this is directed at them. He shouldn't have made the World Cup. We don't have to go super into detail, but I know a lot of comparisons to Fred, and while Fred has not been maybe the best at Manchester United, Fred has been great for Brazilian national team. He's one of the most more he's one of the most capped players in this current squad. I think he has almost 30 caps right now, which I mean, he's rivaling Casemiro. I mean, in terms of just he's on the more experienced end versus like a Pedro, for example, things like that. He's been he's been a part of the squad for a while and has been a key player in the squad for a while. So to to say that Joel Linton should should have made it over him is is a bit much, especially when Joel Linton has not made an appearance for the Brazilian national team um, at all, uh, at any of the levels, not even the youth levels. And yes, he was kind of in the short list for the camp, and maybe he he gets an opportunity later on. It's just it's very rare that a team with depth names a person that has not played for the team, especially when this team is so tactically sound. Everyone knows their role. Bruno is comfortable coming off the bench, which is wild if you're a Newcastle fan. Like, this guy comes off the bench. Yes, he comes off the bench and he's comfortable doing it. So it feels like everyone in this squad knows their role. They have defined roles. They've they've all played well together. I don't think you need to mess that up by throwing in a guy who's who's in form. And honestly, like it's great that he plays as a midfielder and as a winger, but still questions are are asked. Is he a better midfielder than winger? I don't know. He's he's done well at the wing this year. So until he figures out what his best position is, I don't know if you can really include him in the squad. I just wanted that quick aside on Dwellington um, as, as we're talking about Brazil. Me personally, uh, as the South American teams, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for Argentina, even though I feel like it's going to be a disappointment. Uh, I don't know if that's the vibe you're getting, Roberto, but like I feel like I, I want to root for Argentina because I love Messi. I think he's still, even though he's he's the GOAT, he's underrated. I love Argentina, but I feel like it, it feels like every year they, they just cannot get it right for some reason. And obviously they... Messi finally got his international trophy, but before then it just felt like with all the attacking talent they have, with all the midfield talent they have, with all the defenders they have, it's for some reason it feels like they can never figure it out. Roberto, do you think they have a, an actual shot at, at at a decent run in this World Cup, or are they just favorites because everyone's looking at the names on, on their team and like, well, I mean, how could this team not be a favorite? <laughs> I mean, I think when you look at 35 games unbeaten, the fact that they beat Brazil, the other considered favorite, literally over a year ago with some of the same players that they have on this World Cup squad at their home soil. I think 
yeah, I think the hype is definitely real. I mean, this is a different Argentina side that we've seen at other World Cups where crisis after crisis, it made things difficult for them to even qualify. It it really has that kind of the mood back in 2014 when they made it all the way to the final. I think this side is way better than what we saw over there in in Brazil. But I I, I just think that it it really is just the way that Messi has been playing. You know, the fact that he's Mm -hmm. performed so well at PSG – you see what he's been playing at Argentina under Scaloni. You see how mm-hmm. this side is. I mean, I don't know if you guys had the chance to watch their their Netflix documentary. There's, there's one that came out that's that's really good that you guys should check out. There is a togetherness. There is a there is an open. These guys are all they're all friends. They're all dudes. They're all bros. Like it's that kind of thing. And so when that kind of chemistry and that kind of environment works, where they're happy to be on the national team that they have their back. And that, that, that creates a, a really good atmosphere because when you're confident off the pitch, you're confident on it as well. And so I think for this Argentina side that, you know, we're not going to go into predictions yet, but I think they really have the best chance to win the world cup in Messi's long in, and now we would say treasured career as an international has been, playing for Argentina for 17 years now. You know, the fact that he's now 35, it could be his last one. And for a lot of football fans, it's 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 sad. The same thing for Ronaldo for maybe his last World Cup playing for Portugal. But it's always those kind of things where, you know, when these players are coming under this pressure right at the end of their careers, they want to go out with a bang. They've always done that. Pele did it when he won the World Cup in 1970. Um, Maradona did it when okay yeah he was still in his prime but you know he was someone that wanted to go out and 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 to showcase the world his talent and what made him legendary you know I don't want to use American sport references but maybe like a Michael Jordan before he retired from the Chicago Bulls or Tom Brady for the past and, and now the Bucks like that kind of thing like you see these players in their advanced years and their advanced careers wanting to go in and do something and so someone like Messi is is it's this time it's now or never and the fact that the team that they have in the way that they've been playing plus the group that they're in let's be real they're in a they have a good chance of probably 95% chance of winning that group i think afterwards they know that they can go and compete with anyone else we'll see what they can do in the in the next round but it's possible it really is possible for them to win the world cup yeah, I think I agree with you there, Roberto. It's kind of now or never for Argentina at this point. Um, definitely a lot of players that are kind of getting older in age there. Um, and they, they've got a point to prove, right? They really want to do it for each other, like you said. But more importantly, they're going to be acknowledging the fact that Messi is, like you said, 35 years old and most likely won't be playing in another World Cup after this. So a um, lot on the line, but um, a lot of pressure on them as well to, to perform. I think there always is when you've got Lionel Messi in your side. Uh, but in general, I think there's there's a weight of expectations on them, uh, to your point, with the group that they're in also. I think they're they're expected to cakewalk it through that, and then we'll see what happens after they do. Okay, so that's Brazil and Argentina. Um, what about the other two, I guess, maybe lesser fancy teams uh, from South America, Uruguay and Ecuador? Well, uh, it, it's curious that you say less fancy, considering the fact that Ecuador has, sorry, not Ecuador, but Uruguay have the same amount of World Cups than Argentina does, and only one less Copa America title. So 
yes, it's it's been a while since they've won it. Obviously, it's not it's they haven't won the World Cup since 1950, so it's been a while since they've been able to win it. But they are it's it's incredible that the fact that a country of only three million people and one of my favorite mm-hmm. fun facts about Uruguay is that there's more cows than people in the in Uruguay. So, you know, this is this is a side that, you know, every single World Cup, they always seem to produce talent. When you look at the advanced players like uh, Luis Suarez and a and a um, what's it called? An Edison Cavani and their kind of last dances at the World Cup as well. You still have players that are coming up like a Darwin Nunez what we're seeing at Liverpool, Federico Valverde, maybe the best midfielder in Europe at the moment by the way that he's been playing at Real Madrid. He's out there too. And, you know, I think this Uruguay side under Diego Alonso, you know, someone that you and uh, Elijah and I have been able to see as the first Inter-Miami coach um, in their history. So certainly someone that we recognize. But I think, and, and you know, I think it's it's a side that, you know, it's kind of a, I wouldn't even say like a sleeper or an underdog, but just I think it's a, a side that is very much neutral. I mean, there's, um, I don't know if you guys saw the, the, the Twitter announcement the day that the, the the roster got released, they were able to get like everyone from from the cities where those players were from and record like little bits of their names under a jersey from the people from there. And I thought that was really nice. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, it's really cool. But other than that, I mean, it's a talented side, and I think they they have what it takes to to definitely do well at this World Cup. They're in a tough group. They're in with with Portugal, one of the so called contenders as well. South Korea, as you know, with Hungman Song being as talented as well. But of course, I think everyone is going to be focused on the game against Ghana, especially because those two have had history in 2010, the famous uh, game in the quarterfinal where Suarez handballed in the last minute of extra time, gets sent off. Gian missed it. He celebrated in front of them, and then they won, Uruguay won on penalties. So that's going to be a that that could be one of the games of this tournament if if you guys are are very excited about it because i think this uruguay side is is talented and i think they have a good chance of going far like they do like they usually do they 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 tend to get out of the groove in world cups they they made it to the round of the quarterfinal last time only losing to france but um i have high hopes for them i i really do i, I think they they definitely can go and I wouldn't say shock the world, but definitely try to impress the the neutrals in, from a football perspective. I think an, an interesting point there is that um, Uruguay, if they do get out of that group, um, will be playing a team from Brazil's group. So we could potentially, um, in the round of 16, have a Brazil-Uruguay encounter would be a, a fantastic one uh, for, for you as a South American football fan to, to witness there. Be a, I'm, I'm sure that would be a well contested yeah. big contested. rivalry big rival big mm-hmm. rivalry over there in between the two and then just a little bit on on ecuador too yeah it's a this is also a very young side it's a side that i think is very much talented in the way that they play i mean certainly they they've gotten a lot of youngsters that i'm sure you guys have been able to see at, um in the Premier League week in week out like at brighton like moises caicedo and Perry stupinian so but looking at other players that this side has i mean i think you know it's really a, a team that can play very fearless, very attacking, um, usually likes to press a lot as well. And, and so they're in a group that is very much accessible. And what better way to start the World Cup um, than to play the host nation in the first game? So all the eyes of the world will be on this Ecuador side. 
just as much as Qatar is. And I think they definitely want to make a good impression on that one. I think out of the four South American ones, they probably have the less chance of, of getting out of the group. But I think because they're in kind of a group that is still open, you know, in quotations, I think for them, they can go in and be a sleeper and then really go out and, and try to impress anyone that that is out there. And, and of course, it's it's a young team with a lot of talent. So even for some scouts, it's a good opportunity for them to, to see if they can get a new gem on their side. Some awesome insights there. Really appreciate it, Roberto. Elijah, any closing thoughts from you on the, our South American teams? You've talked me into uh, to, to Argentina. I've I just, yeah, I, I I had to like agree with you with with on all fronts there. Of like, this does feel like a better Argentina team than we've had in the past. You know, it's not a team that you know, for lack of better terms, will let Messi down. So I'm curious to see. Like, you know, Brazil are the obvious favorites across the board for a lot of people, but I do think uh, Argentina will have something to say about that, and I think. Uh, I would love to see, uh, you know, Messi bring home the World Cup and and cement the goat bait, the goat debate. Uh, I said the goat bait. I just merged the two together, but the goat debate, um, which again, Messi is the goat, but you know, we gotta we gotta have a World Cup to to rub it in on the Ronaldo fans. Yep, that's true. We talked about Encante, Angola Conte earlier on in the pod, and he's got a World Cup to his name, so it would be sad if Lionel Messi didn't sign off his career with one of them. So, Of course. All right, um, gents, let's get right into predictions. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about the World Cup teams so far during the pod, but now it's time to really kind of put our money where our mouth is, so to speak. I'm going to change up the order a little bit here, so stick with me on it. Uh, we've got five predictions that we are going to make here as a group. The first one is going to be name your two breakout players that you think are going to really kind of have shining World Cups and put themselves on the map, maybe where they weren't as predominantly so to this point. So I'll start with you, Elijah. Two breakout players that you think are going to light it up this World Cup. Oh man. Okay. So, okay. This is, this is weird ones for me. Um, but bear with me. I think number one, I think Alexander Mitrovic is going to have a wonderful world cup. I think he's a golden boot contender. I think he's just, he's a, he's a good striker. Like, and it, it, I don't know if I'm not going to say it pains me to say this is a Newcastle fan because I, I want to see him succeed. And I've liked that he is finally kind of turned into the player that I think maybe Newcastle fans thought he was going to be when he was at Newcastle. But I think he's got a, he's on a good team. Like I think the Serbian team is solid. Like they're a solid team. They've got good players. They've got good players that can create opportunities. And they, they also are another team that, I mean, that's are that's in really good form. And again, you have to be in good form to make the world cup for sure. Like you could go down the list and be like, ah, yes, America's only lost three times in the last, like, you know, 30 appearances or whatever. But to be fair, like Serbia, you know, they're doing this in Europe and they've, they've, they've performed really well. And, and Mitrovic has, again, scored a ton of goals for them. And uh, it, it feels weird because he is a Premier League player, but he's at Fulham who are not, you know, considered one of these like Premier League giants. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if coming out of this World Cup in January, if, if some bigger names come calling outside the Premier League, um, you know, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if, if some of the big clubs in, in Italy or Germany or, or or Spain are like, we could we could use a Mitrovic on our team. Um, so I think for me, that's like the number one guy. I think will have a breakout per se, even though he's already 
good, and anyone who follows the Prem would say that. Um, the next one's an interesting one. I think, and this is purely based off of vibes, I think Tim Weah can finally make the move back into he, – he came into PSG as, like, this, like, wonder kid for U.S. He was probably – I want to say he was the second guy after Pulisic that really got this, like, oh, this is the future crowd. And he went to PSG and, like, just didn't work out there because PSG's academy is really good, so give them credit for that. And he was in that academy – and they have a wealth of attacking talent. And if they are going to upgrade at any position, it usually is attacking talent. So it's like you can't fault him for there. But he's had a really successful career since leaving PSG. And his big knock was staying healthy. And he has stayed healthy. And he's been good at Lille. He's been good for U.S. Men's National Team. He probably is one of the most dynamic players in attack for U.S. Men's National Team. He offers something different. And if the U.S. are are making a little bit of noise in the World Cup, I think it's going to be because of Tim Weah. And I think that he could make that move out of league uh, into maybe a a quote bigger league. Maybe he goes to a a bigger team in France, or he goes to um, you know maybe a a Spain or Germany or whatever. And then I'll give you my my young player as well that I think could 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 be on the radar um, depending on how much they play. I had a little bit of 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 back and forth between two players. One is a Brazilian player in Pedro, who uh, is, I guess, I think he's technically still with Fiorentina, but he's on loan to Flamengo. I don't think he's going to get a lot of playing time, but if Brazil get into some some situations in which, you know, they can put on some guys just to, to make some noise, I think that will just be a name that people are like, oh, I haven't heard of him. And and maybe in a couple years, he's one that's like, okay, he made his his kind of World Cup debut in, in 2022 and you know he's he's a bigger name down the road, but that I, I cannot say his name for the life of me. So please give me grace. But Jamal Musiala, Musiala, I cannot say his name. The Bayern kid, Musiala, Musiala, Musiala. Yeah, kid's insane. Like I watch a little bit of Bundesliga here and there because we're American, so we get ESPN Plus, and it's like he's like he's just good. And I mean, I don't know if he's going to get the the same opportunities he does. Uh, for the German national team as he does for for Bayern, but like he he's a solid player and it, he he gives me the same level of like Jude Bellingham vibes of everyone is like talking about this young guy in Germany and it's like it's only a matter of time before he makes the jump to the next team and I think he's he's going to be one of the names out of this World Cup where we're like oh yes that that player was very good leading into the World Cup and it's no surprise that post World Cup he has left Bayern or he has become an everyday starter for Bayern and is. Host hoisting the Champions League trophy. So I gave you you asked for two and I gave you four, but I gave you two young players just for for extra. So Roberto, don't feel the need to give two young players. Just give your two kind of big players. So I think in terms of breakout star, I'm gonna give you a name that I think a lot of people are going to start to think about in the next few months, maybe even as soon as the summer transfer window, but I think I'm going to go for Argentina and I'm going to go for someone like Enzo Fernandez, the midfielder playing at Benfica. I think he's, he's had quite a, a, a stellar start leaving River Plate to go. He was very linked to, he was linked to various clubs across Europe before making the jump to Benfica. And he's been playing as maybe one of the best players in Portugal yeah. at the moment. Um, yeah. You know, with Lo Celso out of the side uh, due to injury, there is someone where that space is open. I think Fernandez is the one that you, that could be the the really the the key player that could be connecting 
well with Lionel Messi and, and definitely helping Argentina be successful at this World Cup. So I'm going to give you him as possibly the kind of the breakout player, you would say, because, you know, he's not, yeah, he's not obviously show. very young, but he's 21. And in terms of young player, if I have to give you one, I think I'm going to have to go back to a player that I had mentioned beforehand, the uh, the Borussia Dortmund striker, Yusufa Mokoko. The I think he's, yeah. he's got something in him. I think he's he scored a lot of goals already. He's, he's got like 10 goals in, in at Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga, and he's, he just turned – he's not even 18 yet. Like that's insane. Yeah. Like he, he turns 18 – uh, next week, actually. <laughs> so um, I think he's the one that, you know, to get a first ever call up at a World Cup and from that manager yeah. in Hansi Flick, I think it shows that, yeah, this guy, this guy's got something in him. So he's, uh, it's, it's a reference like we use that he's got that dog in him. So I think, yeah, he's <laughs> I personally think, <laughs> I think he's the one that I feel can, can definitely break through. Yeah. And, and just before Adam goes, it just, I, I re- rewind and I said about Tolentin, like it is so rare that a player gets their first call up at the World Cup. And so if that happens, you know that there's something special about that player. So, yeah, that's especially when it's Germany, especially when it's Germany yes. and you're like competing a with a lot of people. Sure. Like, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> all right. I'll go quickly with my two here. Um, I'm going for two homer picks here. Not surprised at all. Um, <laughs> Garen Qual for Newcastle yeah. um, representing Australia. Um, it's going to be one of those all or nothing picks. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's either going to light it up or he's not going to do much at all. Um, but I'm just really excited to see him play. He's made the squad. It sounds like he's going to get some game time in the World Cup. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do because um, I've, I've watched a lot of tape since Newcastle <laughs> um, signed him fairly recently. He's obviously not playing in the, uh, in the full side just yet, but... Lots of potential there, so it'll be fascinating to see how he does. Uh, the last one I will pick here is um, more of a homer pick, I would say, because it's for my beloved Wales team. Brennan Johnson um, fits into the Welsh system really nicely, um, can finish. He's scored a couple goals in the Premier League already this season. Uh, he scored a couple goals already at international level. Uh, in fact, in the Nations League, he scored against Belgium and the Netherlands. So he's proven that he can do it against top teams and I think, you know, we're, we're, he's our number nine now. We're hanging our hat on him as the future of the, the Walsh front line at 21 years old. So um, I'm really optimistic that he'll have a good World Cup. I said the same thing going into the Premier League season. He was kind of my sleeper pick. He hasn't lit it up per se, but I think, you know, a lot of changes in that Nottingham Forest side uh, over the course of the summer. So take, understatement take, of the year. Take a little while. Take a little while to gel there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it'll it'll be fascinating to see what he does for Wales. I've, I've got great great hopes for him for the future. Yeah, I think Cole's a good shout for sure as well because partially because it's a team that's not favored to do anything. So you know he could just get a lot of playing time and it just becomes a. You look up and it's like, oh, this kid's got, you know, four or five goals, which is, you know, a lot for a, a tournament, you know, and, and not made out of the group. That's that's something to, to keep to hang your hat on. And as a Newcastle fan, you're like, oh, well, that's that's a positive. So I'll definitely be tuning into some Australian matches just to see if he gets some play time. Um, I've got a lot of friends who um, this is not good. They, they do a lot of gambling on the the Australian uh, soccer league. So when, when Newcastle signed Grant Cole, they were the first to hit me up and be like, oh, you guys got a good one. I'm like, why do you know this? <laughs> Trust me, we we watch a lot of a lot of Australian soccer. I was like, all right, you know what? 
don't even want to. I don't even want to know. But they, they are very high on him and send me articles on the on the daily about him. So I, I'm excited to see what he does in the World Cup. Yep, couldn't agree more. Going to be going to be fascinating one to watch. All right, our, our next category then, gents. Um, this one is going to be our shock group exit. So a mm-hmm. team that is fancy to make it out of their group that you don't think they will. Elijah, I think you've already spoiled this one based on your Group B predictions. So we'll go to Roberto first. What's your prediction, sir? So I think I'm a fan of tradition. I'm also a fan of being superstitious. I love when the mystique of a tournament is always something to look back upon. We saw it at World Cups. We see it at Euros. We see it in the Premier League sometimes, even big events. I'm a fan of that, and I'm also a believer because I don't think when you see it at three World Cups in a row that it's not a coincidence. I think you know where I'm getting at. I see France, in my opinion, not making it out of the group. I think it's just the perfect storm that's kind of brewing. And it's not even just because of everything that's been going on off the pitch as well. You see some crises going on as well, you know, even with someone like Kylian Mbappe. Just going Some witch doctoring. Yeah, like something going on. <laughs> and I'm just like, wait a minute. World champions, they they don't have two of their best midfielders on, on their side. You have a drama king, in, drama queen, I'll just say, yeah, drama king, queen, whatever. Um, plus, plus, a Ballon d'Or winner has never won the World Cup, ever. So the reigning, I should say. So Benzema, you're gone, my guy. So yeah, I think. Uh, and of course, they already played a Denmark side that had already beaten them twice this year, home and away. I'm saying France, and and maybe I, I don't know who would replace them. Tunisia, maybe Australia, if you want to go through there. But France, you're gone. I see you out of it. Can, can I can I can I hop in and, and give my bold one because England's won, but I told I have more. Uh, don't don't worry. Here's my next one. This is the team no one's talking about, and I think people should be talking about. Belgium is a weird one. Belgium is a weird one. There there's a lot of questions of their back line. One of their their better defenders, maybe more consistent uh, defenders, and the uh, denier. Uh, he he he. Could have left Lyon, didn't decided not to. Ended up signing with the Saudi Arabian team, uh, with, with, and then you've got Romelu Lukaku, who's been awful, and you've got Eden Hazard, who again is is these are their their key players, and Eden Hazard, Romelu Lukaku, they, they just haven't been that that good for for their individual clubs. The back line again, still still some 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 questions being asked there. Even some frustration from Kevin De Bruyne and, and their recent friendlies. Courtois can't do it by himself. Like I just, there's a lot of question marks with Belgium, and I'm not going to go as far to say as they won't make it out of their group because their group is is, you know, it's it's one in which you could see some upsets for sure. But I definitely think that's a team that could easily flail out in the round of 16, and people be like, wait, wait, this is Belgium, but also like, they haven't been the best for the past uh, couple seasons. And I think going into this season, I was I had a lot of questions about some of their players, and I was like, "All right, well, doesn't seem like many of those were answered." So that that's my other shock team besides England. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I could certainly see that happen. Belgium or 
historically now known for underperforming in major tournaments. Yep. And it's uh, and it's like that's when they had their full strength squad, and now it's like, like players who were typically in good form before tournaments for Belgium are not in good form. It it just doesn't bode well for them. Yep, that's a good a good shout. I like that. I'm going to go off the cuff here. I did not prepare this, but I'm going to go with Germany. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a gut feeling than anything else. I think it's a tough group. Spain, I think, are the clear favorites for me in that group. And then Costa Rica, I think, are one of those teams that just can beat anybody on their day. They're a really yeah. kind of, they're what we call in the UK a banana skin p- uh, fixture, right? So they're a banana mm-hmm. peel fixture because you're going to, potentially slip up on that one. And then I think the same could be said of Japan too. Japan on their day are capable of causing a few shocks and have historically too. So just a gut feeling more than anything. I think that defense, we mentioned it earlier on, is not as strong as it used to be. Uh, While they have a wealth of attacking talent, they're missing Timo Werner, and I think he's in great form. So um, we know he can do it at international level too. So who's going to fill his boots, so to speak? Um, Germany is going to be my answer. We'll see. Good job. All right. Next prediction here. We're going to go straight to the golden boot. Um, all right. I think we went with you first last time, um, Roberto. So we'll go with you, Elijah. Who do you think will be scoring the most goals at this World Cup? Oh, man. This this one for me, it's tough because my heart is going with my breakout player now, Zemitrovic. But there's something special about Ronaldo in these types of tournaments. And I think that if Portugal have a decent enough run, uh, I think Ronaldo is going to walk home with the golden boot. He's already playing with a point to prove whether or not that's self-inflicted or, or not. He's playing with this point to prove he's made this whole media storm. It seems to not have distracted the Portuguese national team, but I'm sure that he's using it as this, some sort of personal motivation. He takes pretty much every set piece for Portugal, like, I mean, it, it feels like he's going to have more opportunities than many to score goals. Also playing, like, not as a winger or anything. Like, he's going to be playing more as a striker, probably for Portugal. So, I think that it's going to be Ronaldo, um, which doesn't feel like a crazy hot take. But um, I just I just gut feeling he's playing for uh, for for revenge. And being the gold, having the golden boot at the World Cup will definitely uh, raise some eyebrows. All right, Roberto. Well, I think the obvious choice would be to pick his counterpart, I would say, in terms of quality from GOAT status. And I'm going to say Lionel Messi. (laughs) I think Lionel Messi has has got a point to prove. This is someone that has never scored in the group stages of a – sorry, in the knockout stages of a World Cup. But I just think just looking at the group that they're in and looking at the talent that they have and then looking at how everyone is trying to play for Messi and try to help them, I think I see Messi going on a good run. I mean, I, I was tempted to go for someone like Lautaro Martinez, which again would not be a, a bad shout yeah, anyway. Not but, a bad shout at all. But I think Messi's he's got something. He's got that fire in him. The way that he's been playing at PSG, the way that he's been playing at Argentina recently as well, I think he he has what it takes to, to really shine. And so I say Lionel Messi wins the golden boot for me. All right, I'm going to actually stick with that same team, and you stole my thunder a little bit there. Lataro Martinez is actually going to be my pick for it. <laughs> uh, in great form for Inter, um, has done it on the international stage, maybe not at World Cup level, but certainly has banged the goals in for Argentina pretty consistently. Still only 25 years old. I think you know, you've know you got that aging Messi in the side, and you've got a player in Martinez who's probably got 
I would say another two World Cups in him after this um, mm-hmm. as well. And I think this is where he really announces himself on the international stage. Thought about him for a breakout player. Didn't think that was necessarily yeah. fair given <laughs> given the history that he that he has. But I think he, he really announces himself in a big way on the international stage in this World Cup. Yeah, that's a good show. Okay. Um, so our last two categories, we're going to start with our underdogs for the World Cup, and then we'll go into who we think is going to win it all. So your underdog, please, Roberto. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say it's a tough one, but we. I, I think what I saw at the Euros wasn't a, a, um, a fluke, and I think I am going to have to side with them again. I'm going to say Denmark. I'm going to say Denmark as their as the underdog because I just think the side that they have is really talented. What you saw in the Euros, I think, like I said, they pushed England all the way. They could have been finalists on the day. Maybe yeah. would have gave Italy a, a chance in the final. But I think in terms of quality and the talent that they have, and you know, for me, I think they win their group, firstly. That's my prediction. Mm-hmm. I think they win their group okay. with France and, and Australia and, and Tunisia. Um, so I think they have what it takes to go far. And so I'm going to say, let's say Denmark on this one. Okay. Elijah, Ooh. how about you? Yeah, I, I alluded to it earlier with my breakout player, but I, I think Serbia could make a decent run. They've got just a lot of really good players. It's It feels like that Croatia team of 2018 where, you know, maybe not the, the biggest nation in the world, but like they just at the right time, it seems like all of their players are entering their prime. And you look at some of the guys they have in the midfield and in an attack with Mitrovic and Luka Jovic, uh, with, with Illich, with uh, Milinkovic Savage, with Tadic. Like, it, it seems like, all right, and Marco Grujic. I mean, they've got some good names on that team that feels like, and again, it's another team that they've played together for a while, similar to Wales, similar to how Croatia was. A lot of the same guys have been in the mix for the past two to three years. I just feel as if this could be one of those surprise teams that could could make a run deep into the tournament. So I'm going to go with Serbia. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I went for the same team, Elijah. I think, you know, after their qualifying campaign, I don't think it's uh it's a shock to say that they're not going to be somebody that anybody wants to face in this tournament. They're going to be a very difficult proposition for whoever comes up against them. And with a striker like Mitrovic, they've always got that opportunity to score goals. So um, yeah, Serbia, I think are going to be a force to be reckoned with in this world cup and will comfortably make it out of their group. All right, let's take it home gents. Um, Final category is going to be our prediction for the winner of this year's world cup before we jump into that i'm going to just round out the top eight favorites here maybe the mm-hmm. top nine favorites here <clears throat> brazil are favorites currently at plus 400 argentina at plus 550 france unfancied by roberto fancied by the bookies at plus 600 england at plus 800 spain plus 850 germany plus a thousand netherlands plus 1200 portugal plus 1400 and we'll stop with belgium plus 1600 so um some teams in there that I think are probably better fancied than others just based on historical performance. But who do you guys have? I'll I'll start on this one. I'm going to just keep it nice and simple and say that Brazil for the first time in 20 years takes home the crown. Too much attacking talent in that team. Questions in the defense, but they're going to have that we're going to score one more than you mentality and they're going to take it home for 
South America, Brazil for me. Mm -hmm. um, Roberto, how about you, sir? Yeah, this is it. I haven't been able to go on the record on a prediction as of yet, but I think I will keep it simple too. Um, I will stick to South America, but I will go a bit south than Brazil and go to Argentina. I just think that the way that this Argentina side has been playing, the fact that they've been able to perform in the way that they have been playing, I think obviously, you know, it would be kind of, you know, destiny for a lot of people who do like Lionel Messi to win that World Cup to, to kind of just shut out the debate of who is the GOAT and all that. For him to do that a year after winning the Copa America in Brazil, for him to do this and to help lead this Argentina side and and really win in his so-called last dance, I think it's, it's Jordan-esque. It definitely has that feeling of an MJ. And I think... Argentina win their first World Cup since 1986 and they get their third star on the crest uh, at the end of December. All right. So two oh, South man. American picks so far. We know you're not going England, Elijah. So who, who's your yeah. pick? It's tough because, I mean, I think, like, I would say probably my my prediction, my, my bold prediction, not really bold prediction, is the best match of this uh, tournament will probably be um, the way that the bracket looks, the Argentina-Brazil semifinal, and whoever is in the final just loses to either one of those teams. Um, that, that makes it tough. Is Let's see. I mean, Roberto kind of sold me on Argentina, but my gut says, with just like, I feel as if that, that Brazilian team is so deep and it feels like everyone knows their role. Everyone's fine playing off the bench. Or, or starting, like, I feel like the only out-and-out -out starter for that team is Neymar and, and maybe Thiago Silva, like, and, and whoever they decide to go with as their number one keeper. Like, everyone else feels like they could be in flux and, yeah, sure, I'll start. Yeah, sure, I'll come off the bench and play 20 minutes and see the game out. It just feels like a team that feels like, I don't know, they just feel like they're going, they're going to perform well at this World Cup. They feel deep enough. I don't have the same questions in defense, personally, um, as maybe others do. So my gut is telling me Brazil. Of course, my heart is saying America. Uh, sure, why not give America a World Cup? <laughs> Shut all the haters up. But I, I, I'm going to have to agree with you, Adam. I think it's going to be Brazil. All right, so there you have it, listeners. We have two picks for Brazil, one from Argentina. Whichever way you polish it, it's going to be South America celebrating come the end of December. Gentlemen, so much fun having you on the podcast today. Uh, would you like to give any any shout outs or um, talk about your social media platform? Yeah, I don't no, even know thanks. this. I can't even say this stuff, Elijah. Come on, help me out. Here. <laughs> I'm good at this stuff. No, I don't even have a no. <laughs> uh, Thank you so much, guys, for having me. It was really fun. Yeah, you can absolutely follow me on Twitter at RobertoRojas97. Obviously, I'll be talking World Cup, making it my own personality trait for the next month, obviously. What else would you yeah. want to talk about for the month? Uh, depending on if Twitter survives, obviously. We'll see what Elon yeah, Musk to say. About it. We'll, we'll um, see if Twitter makes it. We'll see if Twitter makes it to December, uh, was it 17th, 18th? Uh, I forgot, but let's see if it makes it 18th, to yeah. There we go. Um, so you can follow me there. You can also check out my podcast, Low Limit Football. Obviously, I've had the great honor of having Elijah on that show for a couple of times. Definitely need to have you back on. It's been too long. We Here we talk about soccer, football, and all around the world. We even have our mm -hmm. own World Cup preview shows that we did where we previewed all 32 nations and talk about them into eight different episodes for each of the eight groups. 
be sure to check it out there as well. And also, if you want more Paraguayan football information, if you want more Miki love as well, be sure to check out Guarani Vision, the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguayan football in English. Obviously, we have some good content there. And yeah, again, I would like to thank both of you guys for having me. And and above all, I hope for a, a really great World Cup. But of course, I hope the USA wins it as well. <laughs> like that, That's what my heart feels yeah. as well. I want them to do well at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, a shout out to everyone who's listening to this right now. Uh, we couldn't do this show without the glorious listeners. If you're not following CHN underscore podcast, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and uh, my hope for this World Cup, honestly, with everything going on and all the injuries are starting to pile up, I just don't want anyone to be injured because I know this second half of the season for every major league is going to be an absolute slog. So I would just love it if we left the World Cup injury-free. So that's my hope for the World Cup. I'm excited to to watch it, consume it, um, and uh, I don't know. I'm just excited. It, it's been It's been a while. To be that since I've been invested in a World Cup uh, as as a fan, so um, let, let's go and uh, Adam, let's, let's let's see us off. All right. So um, just a reminder for listeners: if you're watching in the United States of America, Fox and Fox Sports One will be the two channels that you need to have. So make sure that you have access to those before this Sunday. Um, thanks again, gents, for coming on the show today, uh, and we'll go ahead and sign it off here. Until next time, footy.